So with all the tumult of, of this world and it came out in our prayer, um, this is a, an appropriate question as you look on the breadth of life. Are you deeply fulfilled in life? Starting with your own life and all your pursuits, your career ambitions, perhaps uh, you're an athlete or just in your personal exercise, perhaps you have certain goals with diet and, and, and health, or in your relationships, we all have certain goals and expectations, desires, or as you look out on the world and, and you see the news, the headlines, are you deeply satisfied with your life, with this life on the whole? Are you completely satisfied and fulfilled with all the results of, of, of life as you pursue it and as you're trying to live by certain principles and wisdom? Um, are your relationships panning out the way that, that you hope? Is your job and, and your career path working out the way that you hope? Put differently, especially today as um, it's Thanksgiving Sunday, and tomorrow's Thanksgiving, we celebrate it as a nation, but today as Christians especially become especially thankful to God uh, as we just double our celebration of Thanksgiving. But, and so to put differently, does your Thanksgiving eclipse your disappointments? Despite whatever's going on in your life, do you have enough uh, recognition and, and counting of your blessings that even though there is some pain, your joy eclipses all that? A great story that encapsulates all this together. If you're ever into Greek mythology at one point, there was this man named Sisyphus. And in short, he had done something. He was a king. He had done something to upset the Greek gods. Of course, here, as, as uh, a Jesus-believing, uh, God the Father and, and Holy Spirit Trinity-believing uh, church, we, we believe there's only one God, so this is all fictional uh, from a Christian perspective. But there was this man, Sisyphus, he had... Uh, uh, he had uh, offended the gods, and so they punished him. And his punishment was to roll this giant boulder up this hill, and his punishment would end once he was able to get that boulder to the top of the hill. But the gods, in their cruelty, made this a magical boulder, so that when it got to the top, he thought, yes, my punishment is over after that long, laborious push up the hill and climb up the hill. He turned around, started walking down. It was a magical boulder, and it would just start rolling down by itself. It would hit him, injure him, roll to the bottom, and he would have to do this again. And because of this cruel magic, he, would, he did this for eternity. And that was his punishment. And, and that's what life can feel like at times when we consider our pursuit of our fulfillment and, and satisfaction. We're trying to climb in life and experience uh, some sense of arriving. But it's a hard effort only to find that the, ro- the boulder rolls down on us. I told my kids this story, and, and they said, oh, it's kind of like that time, Dad, you made us run up a down escalator. <laughs> right? And always I'm looking for little moments, opportunities, teaching moments to teach me about grace versus works. And and we were going on a down escalator once and said, kids, there's no one behind us. It was safe. And let's try running up this escalator. And uh, my, my daughter, the, the youngest, she was running but going down. <laughs> and, and so that's what this can feel like. Life can feel like that. Now, as we come to Acts chapter 3 today, verses 1 to 26, 
it, it very much speaks to this question of finding fulfillment in life. Do we find deep fulfillment? To really laser focus our approach to this text, as we ask the question, how does Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 26, call us to place our faith in Jesus? What I believe this passage, what Luke is, is speaking to you and me today, is this. First, give the crucified Jesus all your tired human effort. I'm obviously not going to point people out, but as I look on every Sunday, I can tell who's tired. I can tell who's had a rough week or a bad morning. And we all have tiredness from striving and and making effort, human effort, to try to make this life work. And instead then, we're meant to receive and overflow the risen Jesus' perfect and finished work. We've been singing about this this morning. And so there are two big points today that I want to unpack that speak to this placing of our faith in Jesus, to give all our tired human effort to Jesus on the cross and to receive from him his complete and perfect work as he has been risen and he fills us with his spirit. To my non-Christian friends, this is the offer today. This is what the gospel offers to you. This is what Jesus offers to you, a life that is true and deeply fulfilling, not only for today, but as we'll see forever, for eternity. And so if you're the type who appreciates an outline, it's there in your bulletin. Let's dive into the first point. So first, how do we do this? We need to admit the lacking of our efforts. Just that step alone, to be willing to admit the insufficiency of all, even your greatest competencies, the insufficiency and the lacking nature of even your greatest accomplishments. It takes a humbling. It takes a willingness to to let down your ego and, and to actually admit this. But this is what Scripture and Luke, through Peter's sermon, or what's going on here with Peter and John, is first calling us to. Now, here's why. Here's why we need to admit this. Even if you're not a Christian today, just for the sanity of your own mind, because as we go through life, we'll find nothing is never, is ever perfectly good enough. Perhaps it's, it's with your spouse. Perhaps it's at work. Perhaps it's with your children. Perhaps with your friends. Perhaps just as you're trying to work on some project, there, you'll always come to a point where you have this, you have to confront this reality and accept that nothing is ever perfectly good enough whether that's placed on you and you bear that burden or whether you're placing that burden on others and expecting that of others. And so we need to be able to admit the lacking of all our human efforts. Now, in the passage, Peter, sorry, Luke, as he unfolds this scene, uh, he, I think, shows us three areas of lacking. And the first is the lacking of our religion. And I put religion in quotes on purpose because one of my pet peeves and sadness and some righteous anger is that the word religion has so much baggage now. And if you talk to anyone off the street and if you ask, are you religious? Most people these days, at least in my conversations, they have an allergic reaction to that word. And because they associate it, and, and better put, they equate it to 
institutional religiosity. Meaning, this notion of having this membership and all these requirements being placed on you to do this and don't do that, and yet, as you're trying to be religious, there's no power to really improve your life and change your life. It's just an outward, empty tradition. But, as Christ followers, we need to reclaim this word because there, especially the, uh, James, the brother of John, or Jesus, he identifies a pure religion. Religion at its best. And for, as a concrete example, just think of Mother Teresa. She is an example of pure religion, just giving out and pouring out to help widows and orphans. Now, where do we see this in today's passage? As we pick up at verse 1, now Peter and John... Just to remind you of the flow events up to here, Jesus gave his missional plan, the three phases, wait in Jerusalem, then be filled with the Spirit, then move out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and the Spirit was poured out, the church was birthed, Peter preached his first sermon, then there was this broad stroke picture of the beautiful life of the church and their steadfast devotion uh, to uh, certain disciplines. And now... Luke is giving us a very specific example of what was described earlier as a broad stroke that many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And many were coming to believe. And so here is now a concrete example that Luke is giving. And so the scene picks up. Peter and John were going up to the temple. Now notice there we see this a pointer, a description of a lacking of our quote-unquote religion or our religiosity. Even in the description here, now literally, the temple in Jerusalem, it was elevated. It was on a higher place. And so you did have to climb up to get to the temple. But there is a symbolic meaning that the old order, the old covenant, the Mosaic law, what was more like religiosity, involved this climbing up to God. And it's interesting that even though the Spirit has been poured out and there's this birth of these new Christians who are experiencing God's grace and, and living this religious life from the inside out out of pure joy and gratitude that Christianity is being birthed from within the old religious order. And in the several, uh, I think the first six chapters or so of Acts, the activity according to Jesus' plan of his, his missional strategy, it's happening in the temple. A lot of it is going on in the temple. And so even the fact here that they're going up for the hour of prayer at the ninth hour, this was an, uh, an extra rabbinic tradition. It was not in the Mosaic Law. It was not prescribed to pray at these hours. But even the apostles as newborn Christians living by grace, there was some work that had to be done to transform the old religion that they were used to. And then in verse 2, this sad, ironic scene. This man, lame from birth, crippled, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate. Do you see the irony there? Here, religion is meant to be something good in our lives. And this lame man, this picture of brokenness, is being put up against in contrast, a beautiful gate. There's something amiss here. Something is not lining up. If religion is meant to, religiosity is meant to 
be so good for our lives, so caught to bring about beauty, then why is there this lame man, this broken picture right at the beautiful gate? Now, this account here is historical. It happened. And it's not just some fictional story that we're meant to take metaphorically and allegorically. But yet, in this lame man from birth, I think there is a a symbolic application for all of us. I know myself, I can identify some ways I feel that I've been symbolically lame from birth. Some weakness or or hurt or or baggage in my life that that I've struggled in carrying. And, And God's grace has certainly come and done a work to lift that. But even as I get older, it sometimes it comes back. And I've shared openly uh, with the congregation in the past my journey through depression and, and where I thought I was freed of that this past April, some symptoms have been coming back again in the past few weeks. Just as a quick aside to put you at rest and ease, you know, God's grace has put me in a much better position this time around to, to fight it and to deal with it. So I feel much better. But, but all of us, perhaps... Not literally lame, but something in our lives, in our hearts, in our thoughts, where we feel lame. And yet there's this description that this person was being carried. Who knows who it was? Friends, family, but people who were trying to help him. And again, this was literal. But here, a a beautiful symbolic application or implication, a description of just our world. And, And one thing I praise God for is just how much... Our world has come to the place where we can bring healing through medicine. And and, uh, for some reason, as I was reading this and and preparing the sermon, just the image of the Paralympics came to me. After every Olympics, there's the Paralympics, handicapped folks. But because of science and technology, wheelchairs and, and certain appendages, that we even see people who don't have the bottom half of their leg being able to run 100 meter dashes. And so there's this beautiful human spirit where we love to come around each other and try to help each other, carry each other to something that we think will will help us in life. And yet still, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a broken picture. Now again, the lacking of the power of religiosity. Verse 3, now this lame person seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. What are alms? Alms are are monetary offerings given with the intent, the desire for it to be meritorious. As you give to this poor person, that you'll receive merit and favor in the eyes of people watching. Look at that charitable person. And also merit in the eyes of God. And so this lame person, on the one hand, he had a savvy business mind. That's one way you could look at it. He, he was in the perfect spot to pull on the heartstrings as people were going up to worship God and not wanting to feel guilty and hoping, I've given alms to this person, so Lord, hear my prayers as I come to worship you. And yet again, at the end of the day, this sad, impotent picture, this ironic picture of this broken person at the beautiful gate. Do you see the lacking of religiosity here? But we also see a lacking of our money, specifically. Luke continues the narrative, and Peter directed his gaze at him, at this lame person, 
as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no money. I have no silver or gold. And money, it's a literal paper and coins, but beyond that, it's this currency and economy. It represents our human effort, our human creativity, our human innovation, our human just industry and power, our human effort to make life work. And Peter says, I have none of that. But I do, what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, as we look on the headlines, and as we look out on the world, can, can we be honest? Peter's got a point here. And it speaks even to our world today. Money won't solve all the world's problems. Specifically as Christians, for those of us who are Christ followers, as we seek to be missional as a church, as I'm a Christ follower, as we as a church seek to be missional, are we just giving silver and gold to this world in our attempt to minister to the world? Or are we giving Jesus? Are we and a friend helped me with this insight and, and pretty much gave me this insight. Are, are, we, are we just attempting to have more programs and, and to keep up with other humanitarian organizations? Or are we faithfully presenting Jesus as our salvation to this hurting world? But next, we also see a lacking of our eternal and most glorious vision. In verse 7, we see this miracle unfold. Peter, he takes him by the right hand. And the right hand is this wonderful symbol in Scripture of inclusion, of love, acceptance, fellowship. Paul speaks of the Apostle Paul, the right hand of fellowship. And this beautiful picture of raising him up. It's not by his effort that he is being raised up, but, but grace extending out to him. God's grace through Peter in the name of Jesus. And it's God's, God's grace that raises us up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, as a quick aside, for skeptics, our skeptic friends out there, you might just write off miracles. And it's all about science and technology. But just as a quick attempt to persuade you, God, he created science too. And he doesn't do this out of the norm. He, I imagine just as over a long term, through physiotherapy, someone's tendons and ligaments and muscles and so forth might be repaired and restored, if God is the creator of this universe and, and science, and he, he, can't, he won't disobey his own laws, but this supernaturally expedited process of healing this person, it's, it's possible, and I just offer that to you, to not dismiss these miracles and that they're very much able to happen. And even as we have wonders of medicine and advancements of technology and, and cures and so forth being sped up, perhaps that's how God is working. But nevertheless, a miracle here, something extraordinary, and he's made strong, and he leaps up, and he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And Luke continues. I'll jump down uh, to verse 10 on the screen, the bolded part there. And they, all the onlookers, were filled with wonder and amazement. As they see this miracle, Paul, or Peter, looking out onto the crowd, he, he sees their wonder and amazement, and he understands what they are thinking. He understands what they are thinking. And so to jump down to the end of verse 12, it says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety we have made him walk? What's he saying? He's saying, I get it. Your thinking is that because we're so righteous, because God hears our prayers, that this person has been healed. And this is epidemic in people's approach to God. In fact, there are terrible, immoral, quote-unquote, preachers and ministers out there who prey on weak hearts, weak consciences, and they say, if you give more money, then God will hear your prayer, and you'll be healed. You'll be healed of your cancer. You'll become uh, prosperous and wealthy. And so Peter is identifying this human, natural human thinking that's been there even... 2,000 years ago, as if by our own merit that God has answered this prayer. In fact, in verse 16, Paul describes this person, this layman, as he's healed, that he was given perfect health. That's what we all want, isn't it? That's why there's so many marathons and, and, and charities to fight cancer and, and cancer research. We all want perfect health. And so you could stop here and say, there you go, here's the proof text. If we just have faith and praise God and pray to Him and give money to the right places, then He'll bless us with perfect health. But that's not the point of Luke including this miracle. See, it points to the lacking of our eternal and most glorious vision of what life can finally be. Here's what I mean. I want to give you an analogy. And I want to give you the analogy of, of marriage. And I say this whenever I officiate at a wedding. When you see a lovely couple, the bride in her beautiful, pure white gown, and the groom just dressed sharp in his black suit, I tell them, this beautiful picture, you are a beautiful, handsome couple today, this is not even so much a picture about your romantic fairy tale start to your life together, but this picture of beauty and perfection is actually a prophetic picture of who you are meant to become by the end of your marriage journey. And so as we see old golden couples who have made it through and there's been grace in their relationship, they've worked, each worked through their own flaws and weaknesses and they've learned to lay down their life for the other, to speak the alien language of their spouse and to love them in ways that are so different from theirs, that present picture is a picture of the future. Now, similarly, this miracle that happens in the present 2,000 years ago, this person of perfect health, it's a sign and wonder. That's why the Bible describes it as signs and wonder. It's a sign of the inbreaking of the kingdom and our future hope, our final reality our eternal existence in the new creation, our resurrection bodies. Even Jesus in His ministry, His healing miracles were exceptions. Think about it. 
of all the of all the the population, how many people did he actually heal? It was only a very chosen few. They were the exception because they were signs. Now, I don't discount healings today. In fact, my testimony is I've experienced two healings. One, praying for someone and, and their testimony being that they were healed of a, of a fever instantaneously. And myself, uh, receiving healing about uh, 17 years ago. And so I don't discount healings, but they're the exception and their, their purpose in our experience of Christian faith is to be a sign of our eternal hope, of new creation, where we'll be perfectly restored with resurrection bodies, no more suffering, no more pain. So what do we do with all this? As, as we're in touch and, and we're willing to admit the lacking, the tiredness of our human efforts, of our religiosity, of even something as specific as, as money, as not being the answer to our woes, and, and we're willing to admit, we're trying to make this life too much heaven on earth. It reminds me of uh, one of my good buddies inviting me up to his cottage. A good guy, but um, atheistic. And he was giving me a tour. He has a cottage on uh, Lake Rosso, which is a prized lake. If you can have a cottage there, you've sort of arrived. And he took me on a tour of some of the... the just the mega cottages of these billionaires over the world that find their fortress of solitude in the Muskokas. And I, I was just in sheer wonder, and, and I was in sincere awe, like, wow, these are beautiful. And then I just threw out at him, you know, and we were talking about my job as a pastor, and uh, he's kind to me uh, in talking about, you know, just my faith and our job. And I said, you know, one way to boil down my job is to convince people that there's an eternity. And right when I said that, even over the loud motorboat noise, the, the, the noise of the, the motor and the boat and the splashing waves, it caught him off guard. And, and he was like, and I don't think he had ever really thought about life after this life. Right? And because we lack this glorious vision, this eternal vision of what life can finally be. Now, now how do we get to that life. We need to place our faith in Christ's perfect and fulfilled work. That, that's the second point today. How, how do we place our faith in this Jesus? How do we give him our tired human efforts and, and receive his perfect and fulfilled work? We need to place our faith in Jesus' perfect and fulfilled work. Many of us will ask this question, does, does God love us and answer us depending on how hard we pray or how much faith we can muster up. And if we're misguided, that's what we'll take away from the first half of this passage, the healing of this man and his perfect health. I just need to pray harder than my loved one will be healed of their cancer. But no, let's think about it logically. Even this lame man, at some point he died. Even though he got to experience perfect health again in his lifetime, he eventually died. Death came and took him as well. I love what John Piper says, in reflecting on the Apostle Paul. If God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, then God hated the Apostle Paul. 
Because he went through so many persecutions and suffering to near death. And yet, he was an apostle God used to pen about half of the New Testament. A godly man who took the mission of Jesus to the next phase, to the Gentile world. And so how are we meant to place our faith? Our faith in Christ's perfect work. First, place your faith in Jesus' perfect and complete plan of redemption. In the first three chapters, this theme of God's definite plan of redemption, it pops up again and again, about three times just in the first three chapters. This is a theme that we are meant to understand. To put it in more colloquial terms, we need to learn to enter into God's story. Your personal story will make the most sense when you see it through the story of Jesus, when you begin to play your role, to take on a role in God's redemptive story. And so in verse 13, Peter in his second sermon, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of your fathers. He's going back to the beginning of the story, that God has been writing this definite story of redemption from the beginning. And that the focal point of this whole story was this person, Jesus. And so, in verse 13, that God has glorified His servant, Jesus. Next, we need to place our faith in Jesus' perfect and complete victory over death. To put it in everyday terms, as a Christ follower, you and I can experience a strength and courage that the world doesn't understand. One of our sisters in in our family here at TGC, her brother-in-law, recently passed away, and she was telling me the story that on his deathbed at the hospital, he boldly said to the doctors, I'm not afraid to die. And the doctors were astounded because he was the minuscule exception to having that kind of courage in the face of death. And it was because he's a Christ follower. And and he, he said it was because of his faith in Christ and he knows where he's going think of the tragedy that happened this past week in Las Vegas and and how many people can say I'm not afraid of death I know where this person went and in verse 15 Peter brings us out that you and us included were indicted in this we killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Jesus has perfect victory over death. We're also meant to place our faith in Jesus' perfect and complete justification of us by grace through faith. And so Peter says in verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. Again, we need to understand this. Not that it's his faith and his mustering up of his strong faith that God answered his prayer and he's made healthy. But just simply being in union with Christ. Placing his faith in Jesus as the first resurrected one. And because he's attached to Christ, placing his faith in Christ, hidden in Christ, 
that this perfect health that he experienced as a miracle is a sign of what he will experience forever on the other side. And so for you and me, this is our hope as well. Despite whatever ailment you might have today, to speak specifically to physical uh, sickness, you might not overcome whatever disease it is you have now, but as you place your faith in Christ, your ultimate hope is that you can experience a peace in the midst of your suffering here. And then, as you pass from life to death to eternal life, this perfect health will be yours as you're in union with Christ. And finally, we're meant to place our faith in Jesus in his perfect and complete fulfillment. And so Peter says in his sermon, as he begins to wrap up his sermon, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment. And so let me start where, let me end where I started In your life, are you deeply fulfilled? As you look at all your possessions, as you pursue your pleasures, as you seek to increase and raise your position in in society, at work, as you long to find some purpose in life, do you find that deep fulfillment that your soul is looking for? Put differently, how are we as Christ followers meant to Pursue the longing for health and wealth and prosperity. These aren't bad things in and of themselves. So let me give you three things to balance in your life. First, balance your good stewardship. As you live by grace, realize that God has given you a stewardship of everything in your life, your your health. You, You do your best at what you can by grace to take care of yourself to multiply your gifts and talents, to to do well with your money and your possessions, to use them as tools for God. But then you have to balance that with God's good sovereignty. Despite your best efforts, there might be a tragedy that comes around the corner. Your health might take a turn. But to trust that God is still sovereign in all of this, that He has a good plan. And third, you'll be at peace if you balance it with Jesus' great salvation. That no matter what happens in this life, despite whatever turns your life might take, despite your best efforts to be a good steward, that your eternity is secure. So are you deeply fulfilled in life? Do you have complete satisfaction? As you place your faith in Christ, He's going to vindicate all your tired human efforts. And everything you do, everything you pursue, when it's for the glory of God and by His grace, it'll lead to an end where God takes all of it and weaves it into His story. And it brings glory to Him. And you'll share in that glory. As you place your faith in Christ, He will secure your final perfect health. But in the midst, in the meantime, you can have a perfect peace. And I hope that stays with you, especially as we celebrate Thanksgiving.
Amen.